Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. This morning is exciting because um, a couple weeks ago we wrapped up our January series, and this morning we're kicking off a brand spanking new series on the book of Acts. And all the Holy Ghost people said, yeah, here we go. Woo! Talking about Acts, talking about, talking about the church, talking about all this fun stuff, right? And we as New Testament, like Body of Christ believers, love the book of Acts because it's like, you got all these like, exciting issues, exciting stories, right? You're talking about like, like Holy Spirit. You're talking about power. You're talking about traveling for all of those who are, who are into wanderlust. You just, you spend your days daydreaming about what country you want to explore and, and, you know, what city you would love to go to. This is the book for you. We're talking about healings. We're talking about miracles, talking about the church. Like, yes, book of Acts. It's exciting. And a lot of us tend to think, well, the book of Acts, okay, great. It's, it's the story of our church. It's the story of how the church became what it is today, and great, that's awesome. And yes, that is what it is, but at the same time, and even more so, the book of Acts is not just a story of the church and its origins, but it's a story of the transition of God's work upon the earth. And it's the story of God who once used Israel to exclusively accomplish his purposes for the earth, he, he shifts it to the uh, church and to accomplish his work through them. See, because up until the days of Acts, um, Israel was the exclusive people of God. If we, if we read the Old Testament and kind of know the history there, we know that Israel was the people who were like one designated group of people, one relatively small group of people. That was God's exclusive plan for the earth. Well, but then, around Acts chapter 8, which we'll get to in coming weeks, there's this shift where all of a sudden, whoa, the church comes on the scene. And the church then becomes, instead of an exclusive people, only comprising of Jews, it becomes this melting pot, this, this massive group, body of believers, who are comprised of Jews and Gentiles, these people who um, go and, and accomplish God's work upon the earth. And so, you know, using Super Bowl terms, it is Super Bowl day, um, using football terms, it's as if God calls an audible, right? It's like Peyton Manning, Omaha, Omaha. Like, no, we're not doing a running play. We're doing a passing play now. Instead of going through Israel, the running back, to accomplish his plan on the earth, he, he chooses to check to a receiver and to, to, to run an audible and to, to run a different play and accomplish his plan in a little bit of a different way. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting studying this. And I think the book of Acts is going to glean some great insight for us as we study um, this 28-chapter book. We study our origins. We study this transition from Israel as God's exclusive people to the church as God's universal people. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be enlightening. It's going to be fun. And so as we jump in this morning, let us go before our good, good Father, our loving God in prayer, and let's pray and ask that he speaks to us this morning, and let's uh, dedicate this morning to him. So let's pray. Lord, you are so good, and you're wonderful, and you're awesome, and we, your people, just love you. And we thank you that when we come to church, we're not just going through the motions, and we're not just doing these churchy things just to do them out of religion, but Lord, we know that we have living and vibrant relationship with you, that we have purpose, we have reason for living, that God, because of you, we're changed, we're different. Things just make sense in our lives because of you. 
And so, God, this month and in the coming weeks as we study this book of Acts, I pray that you would teach us according to your spirit. God, would you give us wisdom and understanding to be able to, to comprehend your word. And I pray that the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth this morning would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 1 together if you got your Bibles. If not, no biggie. You can use your phone. If you don't have the app, then you can steal your friend's Bible or something. Uh, But Acts chapter 1. And so Acts chapter 1 kicks off with this this recap. And what do I mean by recap? Well, the book of Acts was written by this guy, Luke. Uh, He was a doctor, not like a brain surgeon doctor where he cut people open back in the day. But he was this doctor of medicine, and he, he was really smart, Really smart, Dr. Luke. And uh, he writes the book of Acts as kind of a two-volume series because many of us who know the Bible know that in the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, no surprise, this author Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote um, the Gospel of Luke and Acts as this two-volume kind of set. There's the prequel, and then there's the sequel. And so, in, in Luke... He writes all these stories about, hey, Jesus did this, and he healed people, and he set people free, and he he brought salvation to the world, and he preached, and he was this awesome guy who who died and was raised from the dead, and like the story of Jesus is incredible. And then in Acts, he picks up on that and and continues this narrative of this two-volume Luke to Acts set. And so he offers in the first few verses this prequel, this this, um, context into uh, his previous gospel. And a lot of us are familiar with this idea of prequels because a lot of us are TV junkies. Would anybody agree? Like, oh yeah, hooked, hooked, on, hooked on Scandal, hooked on Parks and Rec, hooked on The Office, like whatever. We all have our TV shows uh, that we love. And, and me and JC don't get into a ton of TV shows, but um, we are absolutely forever will be hooked on Lost. Are there any Lost fans in here? Or am I just alone? Okay. There's a few of us in here. But Lost and all the other shows that we watch usually offer this like this this context, this prequel, this this introduction into the episode by looking back on the episode before. A lot of us are familiar with this. And and for those of you who have seen Lost, there's the iconic introduction at the beginning of every Lost episode, you know. And it goes a little something like this. Previously on Lost. You know. And then they're saying, look, this happened back here. You know, spoiler alert, this person dies. I was going to say a name, but if you haven't seen it, I don't want to really ruin it. Like, this person dies, or this crazy thing happens. Flaming arrows come out of the woods, and this black smoke monster and this panda bear, polar bear, I mean, panda bear would be sweet. This polar bear runs out. These random things are happening, and you would wonder what the heck is happening in this episode I'm watching now if you didn't have this prequel, this, this context, this previously on Lost kind of thing. Well, Luke is doing just that. In the first three verses of Acts, he's offering this previously on Lost kind of idea, where he's saying, look, last time, the last book I wrote, the Gospel of Luke, yeah, well, in that I talked about, and if we skim this, he, he's saying, I talked about Jesus. I talked about how um, there's infallible proof. There's eyewitness accounts that I um, wrote, and I did research, and I talked to these people who saw Jesus firsthand, 
And I talked to them, and I, and I wrote the book of Luke, and we know the, the story of Jesus because of the book of Luke, and all this stuff happened. And then he appeared, verse 3 says, to his disciples for 40 days, talking about things pertaining to the kingdom. So he's offering this previously on lost kind of context, bridging the gap between the gospel of Luke and Acts. And so we have this context, and then we can jump in to the narrative of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, which we're going to read together as he continues and, and actually starts this story of the book of Acts and this, this transition from Israel to the church. And here's what it says. Acts 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, that is Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. I want you to kind of flag that in your mind because we're going to come back to this. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here Jesus is about, he's, he's just been um, crucified, he's been resurrected, he's about to ascend back into heaven, go back to his father, and he's giving his disciples one final charge. He, he's kind of, he's, he's telling them what to do for the rest of their lives. Because no doubt the disciples had just experienced all this stuff and they're thinking, okay, well what's next? Like, like if you're leaving, we, we kind of want to hang out with you, Jesus. Like you're our best friend, we've had laughs, we've had meals, we've done life together. What the heck do we do now? And Jesus is giving them purpose, and he's telling them, no, 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 this is what you do. And he says that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're going to go all around the world telling people about me. But you got to stay in Jerusalem. you got to just sit tight, be patient, and wait for the promise of the Father, that is the Holy Spirit, to come. And, and put yourself in the disciples' shoes here for a second, because you have just seen Jesus for the last three years doing all this stuff. You've seen him move. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him preach these amazing sermons. You've seen this guy do it all. And then he's crucified and he's murdered. And there's no doubt in their minds that he died. I mean, he's stabbed in the side. He's bleeding. He hangs on this cross for hours. There's no doubt, no way that he didn't die. And then he's raised from the dead. Who does that? That's crazy, Jesus. Awesome. He's raised from the dead, and then he just starts appearing to them for the next 40 days, like walking through walls, and you blink, and Jesus is there. It's like, oh, gosh, you scared me. Jeez. Jeez, Jesus. And he's, he's kind of just appearing, and he's doing all these amazing things, and the disciples, no doubt, are revved up because they've seen Jesus do all these things, and they want to tell people about him. I mean, imagine you've just seen the best thing. You've witnessed the greatest story ever told, and you no doubt want to just go tell people. Like, ah, I got to tell people about this guy who set the captives free. I got to tell people about this guy who has restored our relationship with God, where we no longer have to be in sin, and we don't have to be sick. But, but Jesus changed everything. And so they're no doubt feeling this excitement, and they're revved up, and they're energized, and they want to go tell the world, but Jesus says, no, 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 wait, hit the brakes for a second. Peter, just chill. Just chill. you got to wait. Stay in Jerusalem 
for the promise of the Father. You will be doing this, don't get me wrong, but right now, you got to wait. Just think about how hard that must have been for the disciples. And, and really, it's this counterintuitive idea that Jesus gives his disciples, because strategically, if you want the most amount of people to know about Jesus, you would get them started immediately, Right? I mean, they would just go. You would say, all right, ready? You know about me. Ready, set, go. Like, travel the world. Tell people. Do signs and wonders. Do all these things. Tell people. And strategically, it doesn't really make sense to, like, stay put in a city where everybody has just seen this stuff happen. You know, largely, a lot of people in the city have already made up their mind about Jesus. They've either chosen, yeah, I believe in him, or no, I don't. I think this whole resurrection thing's bogus. He's still dead. And so it just, it kind of doesn't make sense for them to just sit in Jerusalem But Jesus was telling them, look, in order to do what you need to do, in order to fulfill the calling on your life, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit living in you, and you need me in relationship with you in this way in order to accomplish my plan for your lives. And so he gives this final charge to the disciples that decide to be obedient And then we see Jesus ascending to heaven. He goes up. He essentially just like floats into the sky. And the disciples are left standing there like, whoa, dude. That was pretty whack. That was pretty wild. And Jesus is gone. And then the disciples walk down the mountain. And they go back and continue just what they've always done. They're waiting. They're breaking bread together. They're sharing communion together. They're praying together. They're reading the scriptures together. They're doing life together. And they're kind of just waiting. And yet they're wanting to go out and do all these things, but they were told to wait, and so they're obedient, and they wait. And then we see them do something really interesting. In Acts 1, verses 15 through 25, we see them um, elect and, and, and talk about the idea of replacing Judas as a disciple. Now Jesus, when he had chosen the 12 disciples, he did just that. He chose 12 but there was one of them, as we all know, who betrayed him, who um, pretty much sold him. And that guy, Judas Iscariot, ended up hanging himself. And he was now out of the picture. And for uh, the next few verses, from verse 15 to 25, we see Peter essentially stand up and make this claim, make his case that, hey, if Jesus picked 12 of us, we need to bring somebody in. We're missing one. It's, it's just a little lopsided here. We need to add one more person into this mix. And so he's making his case in verses 15 through 25. And then verse 26 comes around, and we see something really interesting. And here's what it says. It says, And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. What the heck is casting lots? What does that mean? Why would they do this? Well, casting lots is interesting, this whole idea, because casting lots, it's kind of like Yahtzee in some ways, like dice, like, woo! full house yeah it's uh it's this old testament practice where people would take sticks or stones or maybe a combination of the two and they would essentially make these carvings these symbols on different sides and different parts of the stones of the sticks and then they would essentially just toss them into a designated area like a circle in the ground or something and whatever symbols were faced up well then they would decipher those and use those in order to make decisions and then um, they would make a decision and that would be viewed as the will of god and now for us 21st century westerners we're thinking that sounds an awful lot like chance 
Like, I, I, flipping a coin sounds really similar to that. Like, you know, Siri, flip a coin for me. Bop. You ever done that? It's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's chance. It's risk. They're, they're making these big decisions just based on, like, rocks and sticks. Wait, th- this doesn't really make any sense. But actually, uh, in Hebraic thought and in, in Jewish culture and, and theology, they viewed this as a means of determining God's will. And it was actually a part of the law for them to follow this. If there were big decisions to be made regarding um, anything with priests or with animal sacrifices or these big decisions, they kind of had big implications, then they were required by law to cast these lots in order to make a decision and determine God's will. So for us, it seems kind of taboo, like, okay, why, why why would they do that? Isn't that just chance? But for them... Um, they were told and taught by God himself that this was a means of determining God's will. And uh, it's interesting because up until the book of Acts, we see that in the Bible there's close to 70 occurrences of people casting lots. They're, they're casting lots about um, what land they're going to get. They're casting lots about uh, the Levitical priesthood. They're casting lots about animals. They're casting lots about all this different stuff close to 70 different times. And why this is significant, we'll get to in a second. But, there, but we see that this is like a common Old Testament practice, that they're just casting lots, casting lots to make these big decisions. And so back then, this was a means that they determined God's will for their lives. And this was a means that they brought God into the decision-making process. And so with this in mind, we're going to launch into our first discussion of the morning. But before we do that, just think, this was the way that they made decisions. This was the way that they determined God's will. So think today. The question is that I want us to discuss is how do we determine God's will for our lives today? Back then, they casted lots and they used these external means to determine God's will. Well, how do we do that today? Just think of some ways. And and really, does God even speak to us specifically? Does God have a specific will for all of us? You know, these are kind of some questions that we can kick around. But question, how do we determine God's will for our lives today? Talk about it in your tables for the next Three, four, five minutes. Ready, set, discuss. All right. Man, that was some, that was some good discussion. <laughs> My table, man, we got into some meaty, meaty stuff. How many of you guys, you, you just had like some meaty, rich, deep conversations? I don't know. Uh, we were talking about, okay, God's general will versus his specific will. Like, yeah, okay, we, we know that we're supposed to follow everything that the Bible says, but is there in fact, a specific will for our lives. Um, I don't know. That might be a good series to talk about. We're, got, we're not going to nuance all that this morning, but, um, you know, we might touch on some of it, but, but that just might be a series that we jump into. How do I find God's will for my life? Is there God's will for my life? Interesting. Well, the, uh, the answer that I, or the, uh, the reason why I wanted us to talk about that question, we're going to get back to that in a little bit. But these are questions that we need to kind of wrestle through and, and think through, okay, well, um, how do I, in fact, know God's will for my life? Is, is there one way? Is there multiple ways? But we're going to get to that in a second. So we're talking about casting lots. We're talking about this Old Testament practice. And, and some of you at this point may be thinking, okay, well, how does this apply today? Obviously, we were talking, we're not going to sell like the Mill Sunday School lot pack, you know, where... where it, it's like sticks and stones, you know, three easy payments of like fourteen ninety nine. Great. Sell it in the back. Like, we're not going to engage in this practice of, you know, literally casting lots. So, so how does this apply to us? Well, what's interesting and why this is significant is that 
Uh, I mentioned there's over 70 times in the Bible where casting lots is mentioned. And this is the last time in all of Scripture that the, that the uh, practice of casting lots is even mentioned. And the reason for that is because in just a few days from now, where the disciples are, the Holy Spirit's about to come. Pentecost is about to happen, where, where we're going to get into in just a second. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to now be the number one and primary way in which believers make decisions and hear God's voice and determine the will for their lives in these days. So um, we'll get to that in just a second. I feel like we're getting to a lot in just a second, but we will. It'll be good. So, uh, so if we're continuing this narrative, this story, they cast lots, and the lot falls on Matthias. He's, he's chosen. He becomes one of the disciples. And they wait about 10 days. They're obedient. They're, they're sticking with Jesus' command. They wait 10 days, and then all of a sudden, the day of Pentecost comes. Woo! Glory. Somebody get ready. Get ready, because it's going to be good. And so then we come to the um, well-known and renowned account of Pentecost found in Acts chapter 2, which let's read this together. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so right now, God moves in a massive way. The promise of the Father comes true. He makes good on his promise. And the Holy Spirit comes on the believers in the upper room. And it says they were all filled with the Spirit. And, and us believers today, we, we kind of think that the filling of the Holy Spirit is an exclusively New Testament idea. But in fact, we see this happening in some ways in the Old Testament. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't move for the very first time and didn't fill people at Pentecost. But in fact, God had this habit, this practice every once in a while of filling people um, in the old days, if you will, and um, doing a specific purpose uh, through that. And so what we see in the Old Testament is... Um, God fills people with the Holy Spirit. Um, Samson, Gideon, Saul, David, Elijah, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit at a certain point. And what, what, what happened was, see, what happened was, is, is the Holy, no, I'm just kidding. The Holy Spirit, gosh, the Holy Spirit would, would come and would rest on people and would fill them temporarily for a specific purpose. And once that purpose was accomplished, then the Holy Spirit would lift and you know, the person would kind of go on throughout their day. And it sounds kind of funny, but, but there's passages in the Scripture where in the Old Testament, uh, somebody would get filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy and, and say a word from God and declare a truth about God um, that's, that's specific to somebody's situation, and then the Holy Spirit would depart. Other times, somebody would, you know, be walking down the road, and boom, like the Holy Spirit would fill them, and they'd just, like, start singing praises and lift God up and magnify Him and sing a song, and then the Holy Spirit would depart. And again, it sounds a little weird, but then there's other times where the Holy Spirit would fall and, um, you know, somebody would, would uh, like with Elijah, he would heal or, or there'd be like miraculous signs. Like with Samson, towards the end of his life, um, he, he's lost his strength and the Holy Spirit, it says, fills him and he's able to get one last burst of strength at the end of his life and then the Holy Spirit departs. And so we see that even in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had this way of coming on people and then departing. But now... At Pentecost, things are different. 
Because where in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went in the New Testament, today at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now here to stay. And he's now indwelling believers. And no longer did believers go through their life and get hit with the Holy Spirit every once in a while, and then it would be gone. You know, get a burst of revelation, a burst of truth, a burst in uh, restored relationship with God, and then it'd be gone. But they would now be living in the presence 24-7, always in the presence of the Holy Spirit, because he's in them. He lives in them. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit now, because he indwells you, he will guide you into all truth. And so now they're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's here to stay. It's this glorious thing that that humanity has waited ages for. They're filled with the Spirit, and it says they speak in tongues. Now at this point, many, many, many debates have risen in modern ecclesiology, that is the theology of the church, um, about, okay, where do we fit this whole Holy Spirit in? What do we do with this? Questions arise, like, okay, is, is the baptism of the Spirit, like it says right here, is that something that's still existent today? It, okay, the evidence in Acts 2 was speaking in tongues. Is that the only evidence of being baptized in the Spirit? It, does the Holy Spirit really even work at all? Are there miracles? Are there signs and wonders? And there are all these questions that in ages past, since the beginning of the church, it has divided the church and separated the church. And we're definitely not going to get into that stuff now, but in the coming weeks, I think that we'll take some time and kind of look at some of the arguments. Because time after time after time, the Holy Spirit is present in the days of Acts and in the early church. And so we're going to look at some occurrences of that, and we're going to take some of these arguments, and I'm going to give you guys a chance to frame your own theology on baptism of the Spirit and, and what that means today and what, what's the Holy Spirit's role today. What, what is tongues? Does that still happen? So we're going to get into that in the coming weeks. So I would encourage you, stay tuned, keep coming if that's something that interests you, because we're going to talk about that. But for now... The story continues. The, the uh, disciples in the 120 in the upper room are speaking in tongues. There's this mighty move of God. They're filled with the Spirit. And then this crowd of people just kind of congregates. Because at this point, the Passover had just happened. And there were millions of people who had now come to Jerusalem and were offering sacrifices and, and going through uh, rituals in Jerusalem because it was a part of the law that they had to at Passover. And so there's all these people, millions of people in Jerusalem, and they kind of just start congregating as they see this stuff happening and as the disciples start praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. And so, long story short, they congregate. Peter stands up, you know, old, old Peter, old big mouth Peter, stands up, delivers this powerful sermon, and over 3,000 people get saved. Whoa. Let's get Peter to Sunday school. Come on. Let's preach some messages, Peter. But like 3,000 people get saved, and we see that this is the first wave, the first fruits, the first harvest of souls that are going to come into the kingdom and come into a relationship with God, these 3,000 people. We see that this is the first harvest of souls that would now dedicate their lives to God and come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ And for the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to go through it later, we see that these disciples, these people of God who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, now go out and go into those harvest fields. See, these people were the first harvest, the first fruits, yet the story of Acts continues, and people continue to get saved, and the harvest continues to be reaped, which I'm excited to read about that in the coming weeks. But now, 
things are different for the disciples. Now they have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but also they have the Holy Spirit, remember, living in them. So now they can walk in the power of the Spirit, and they can do what Jesus did, and they can heal the sick, and they can raise the dead, and they can set people free by the power of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is also living in them, and he's also guiding them, and he's speaking them, and he's leading them into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit is an absolute game changer at this point, because everything has changed now that the Holy Spirit is living in them. And the Holy Spirit comes now, they're able to hear God's voice, and they no longer need to cast lots and rely on external means to hear the Holy Spirit. I think about it this way. If we're driving in the car together, and you turn on the radio, what's a radio? That's something nobody likes and nobody listens to, but that's not important. We turn on the radio, and there's all this static, right? And and you're looking for the right radio station, 99.9, 98.9, 92.9, you know, whatever else nines are in it. Um, you, you're looking for these like stations and you're, and you're just getting static. Like there's something wrong. You're just picking up static and you know that something's being played or you know that something's being said on the radio, but you just can't hear it. The static is messing it up. And so then in that case, you have a couple options to figure out what's on the radio. You can either call up your buddy. You say, yo, you got a clear signal. You're hearing the radio well. Well, what's, what's on the radio right now? Tell me. And you can talk to your friend, or you can pull over, like every safe driver would, and you can hop on Google, and you can look it up. Okay, what's playing on 99.9? You can look it up, and then you can see for yourself what's playing on the radio, but you actually can't hear it. You're using a secondary means as a way of figuring out what's on the radio. Well, the disciples, and everybody actually, pre-Christ and pre-Pentecost, there was static in the airwaves. They couldn't hear God's voice clearly. The, the static of their sin and their shortcomings short-circuited their ability to hear God for themselves, and so therefore they had to go to secondary means in order to hear him. They had to call up the priest, you know, call up the prophets who, who had that restored relationship with God and who God used, and they had to talk to God through them and figure out what God's will was through them. Or they had to go to the law, something that God had delivered down. They had to use casting lots. They had to go through these secondary means to hear God for themselves because there was static. And they couldn't hear God because of their sin. But then, guess what? Jesus Christ steps on the scene. He sheds his blood. He dies. He gives his life. And his blood rips the static away. And now all who believe in him have this clear airwaves with relationship with God. They can hear him clearly. And now the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you know, days later, really 50 days after Jesus died, the Holy Spirit comes, he fills believers, and now they can hear him clearly. It's like, oh, God, you're speaking to me. You're you're talking to me. You're leading me. And they no longer have static, but they can hear God, which means that if they have the Holy Spirit, they, in fact, don't need anymore to go to secondary means. They, They don't need to rely on, they don't need to put stock in these secondary means. They wouldn't go to the priest's anymore and, and ask what God was telling them. They, they don't need to go to the law anymore because Jesus fulfilled the law. But they have the Holy Spirit in them speaking to them and guiding them into all truth. The static was lifted and they now could hear the Holy Spirit for themselves. Well, we believers today have that same Holy Spirit. We hear God just like the disciples did. The Holy Spirit is indwelling each of us just like he did on Pentecost. And now we're able to walk, and we're able to hear his voice, and we're able to be led by him, by the Holy Spirit's leading. 
yet there's still kind of some culture and some ways and some theology in the church these days in which we go and we seek external means, secondary means, to find God's voice and to hear God's voice and to be led by the Lord. Some of these ways, and by the way, I am guilty of every single one of these. I mean, I've done all these. I was raised believing, and these, these are really the only ways to hear God, and I've done the drill. But one of these ways is this, like, laying out a fleece theology. You guys ever heard or, or, or done this? Like, I've, again, I've done it. It's this, like, and, and the, the reference is to Gideon, who basically God tells him to go to war. He's like, eh, I don't know. So he says, I'll lay out this fleece, this sheep. And if you soak this fleece with, uh, with dew, the next morning I'll go to war. And sure enough, the, it happens, and he knows, okay, great, I'm supposed to go to war. So today, we can have this practice of, okay, if this happens, God, why don't you do this, and then I'll really know what you're speaking. If I ask this girl out, and she says yes, okay, well then she must, she must be the one to date, right? You must want me to date her. Come on. I'm laying out the fleece. Thank you, Lord. Woo! Or, or, this, or this open door theology, which again, I've done. But, but anybody pray this prayer like, God, would you open the doors that you want to open and close the, close the doors you want closed? Like, just, just open the doors. Let me walk through them. And, and I need to clarify now, yes, God sometimes speaks to us through these. I don't want to say he doesn't because we all, I'm sure, could sit around and tell stories about ways that the Lord has led us and guided us through this. But right now, the account of Pentecost and for the rest of the scriptures, we see that it is now the Holy Spirit that takes the place as the primary way that we hear God. The fleece and the open doors, God can speak through that, maybe rarely, maybe fairly regularly, but the number one primary way that we hear God's voice is through the Holy Spirit. And I think us as college and 20-somethings, we're now in this phase in our lives of making big decisions, right? You're, you're thinking about dating. You're th- we're thinking about who we're going to marry. We're thinking about, I kind of like it, so should I put a ring on it? Or, or you know, this job, like, uh, yeah, I don't know if this is really my career or if I should really be doing this, but I, it's okay. And then you're thinking, like, okay, where am I going to live long term? And what degree am I going to get? And what friends am I going to do life with? You know, and there's all these, like, big decisions that really are overwhelming at times. And we're just seeking for ways to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do? Which here we come to the, the general will of God and the specific will of God. And I would argue that there are definitely some times in our lives that God speaks to us specifically and we must do according to what he says. And then through that, he leads us into, you know, this great season or whatever he has for our lives. So that being said, we can look and we have this tendency to just look for like open doors and look for opportunities. And yeah, God will lay out this fleece here. Like, yeah, I'll do this. And if you do that, like, all right, I'll know it's you. You know, we, we say, okay, if I apply for this job and I get it, then that must be your will, right? It's God's will. Come on. If I'm dating this girl or dating this guy and it lasts longer than a year, then they must be the one, right? Come on. Or, or you know, uh, this degree path. Like, like if, I, if I choose this and I start to like it, well, then that must be it. Or you ever prayed this prayer? Like, God, just give me a dream. Lord, I just want to, like, I just want to see where I'm supposed to live. I just want to see that girl I'm supposed to marry. Like, can you just show me? And then I'll know. Like, then I know it's your will for my life to marry that girl. Or if I see five white cars on the highway on my way to work, I'm quitting my job today. 
Honda number five. Yeah, I'm done. Get out of here. Peace. Sorry. The Lord said it. The Lord showed me five white Hondas. Come on. But the, there's these means of like looking externally and looking outwardly and looking for things, casting lots, looking for open doors, these things that we look externally and to make our decisions and to guide us in God's will for our lives and guide us in decisions. Yet, again, though God may speak through those, the Holy Spirit now who lives in us is the number one and primary way that we are to be directed and be led. And, of course, we have the Word and we have the Scriptures. And, and you know, the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit are the two biggest things that we can hear God and be led by Him. But the Holy Spirit, given at Pentecost, now we can make decisions based on this voice of God in us that directs us and guides us. And so it's funny because when we're talking about this, I, I think of a story in a time in my life where I was just so guilty of doing this, like so guilty of searching for opportunities and the external things. And many of you know this, but a, a couple years ago, me and JC were living in Texas, working in Houston at the student ministry, and we had just gotten engaged, right? I liked it, so I put a ring on it, full circle. There you go. Pun intended, full circle. So I put a ring on her finger, I, I proposed to her, she said yes, and when we got engaged, we're now in this season of, okay, we're working at this church, but, but we just feel like God's leading us somewhere else. You ever get those, those sensings? Like just, you, you sense some transition, you sense that, okay, there, there's something else. Like God, I, I'm satisfied here, and I'm going to do everything I can to be content here and to fulfill your plan here, but yet there's just some transition, and so we're sensing this, and we're talking through it, and we're praying through it. And then me being like the go-getter that I am, I just like hop online and start applying for jobs. And I'm, I know I'm called to be in full-time ministry. That, that's God's purpose for my life. I'm supposed to be in full-time ministry. And I'm looking for all these jobs. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking across the country and applying for these jobs. And to make the long story short, this one job ends up coming up. And I end up interviewing and become one of the, the top candidates for this worship pastor position in New York City. I'm thinking, shoot, we just got engaged? Like, what better way to kick off our marriage than New York City, people? Come on. Like, this is amazing. And my brother's living in Manhattan, so family's there, this awesome city, this awesome church, and this awesome position with my new wife. This is going to be amazing. Like, surely this is God. And I'm going through the interview process, and it's just working. Conversations are looking good. He's saying I'm one of the top candidates. I'm about to fly out there. Me and JC are looking at, like, lofts and apartments in New York. I mean, it's getting real. And I'm thinking, yes, this is amazing. But then one night, the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks. And he spoke to me and said, no, 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 don't move to New York City. Like, God, wait, don't move to New York City? This is you, right? Like, this is the door, if there was a door, it's wide open. And it's screaming at me. There's somebody in the doorway saying, yo, come to New York City, come on. And I'm thinking, no, this has got to be you. But again, it just kept coming up. Don't move to New York City. Move to Colorado Springs. I'm thinking, Colorado Springs, What? But for me and JC, it, it just kept coming up and coming up. And eventually, we said, okay, we got, we got to do something about this. So we fly to Colorado, right here. And uh, I remember, we're sitting in these two chairs. And uh, we're praying, and we're seeking God, and we're asking, Lord, is this really what you have for us? And it's amazing. We're looking at the city and the mountains, and God has just been doing this thing in us these last few months. And then it just, it solidified. And the Holy Spirit just 
finally, hardly, firmly spoke, yes, this is it. And we, I mean, we both sensed it. We both heard from him. We knew, okay, this is it. And so um, we hop on a plane. We're going back to Houston to, you know, fulfill our obligations out there and to put in our month notice or whatever. And we're on the plane, and I open my laptop, and I send an email to the pastor of this church in New York City. And I say, hey, I'm sorry. Thank you for uh, looking at me as an option. Thank you for, thank you for all this stuff that you've done for me and in talking through all this. But I got to pass because the Holy Spirit is leading me in another direction, and, and God's calling me to somewhere else. And so the thing about Colorado Springs, though, was I had nothing. Like, I had family here, yeah, and JC's family was here, yeah, but there was no job leads. There was no, like, full-time ministry position. There was nothing. I mean, it was, it was a step of faith. I was stepping into the abyss, like, having no idea what was coming. New York City, man, it was like this, this job was right there. This, this career path was right there. It was going to be this awesome opportunity. Of course this is God, but no. Like, the Holy Spirit overrode any opportunity that I received, and so we moved to Colorado Springs. Six months later, I come on staff at New Life in the kids' ministry. And a year later, I take this position as the pastor of the mill. And me and JC are in one of the most fulfilling and satisfying seasons of our lives. Why? Because we allowed the Holy Spirit to take the reins. We allowed the Holy Spirit to trump any opportunity. We allowed the Holy Spirit's voice to trump any fleece, any open door that we saw. Because... The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth, as Jesus told his disciples. He's the one that, as we're walking through life, teaches us and guides us and transitions us and leads us to jobs, if God would have us work at specific jobs. And he leads us to these different things, and he just has this way of guiding us. And so now, no longer do we have to look primarily for the open doors or the fleeces, the wet fleeces on the ground, but we say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? How are you leading me? And I think a lot of us are frustrated because we're, we're looking for direction in our life, and we're looking for wisdom, and we're looking for, okay, what's next? What job do I have? What career? What degree? And we really just never ask. James 4.3 says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you, you doubt, and, and you're, 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 you don't have faith when you ask. So when we come to the Holy Spirit and God, and we just ask, and we say, Lord, what do you have for me? Is there anything specific and in those questions and in that asking, he leads us and he guides us into all truth. And so as we wrap up, I want us to jump into the final discussion of the morning. And this one's really practical. Thinking about asking the Holy Spirit and, and, and having us be led by him. The, the question is this. What are some ways that you can listen, you specifically, can listen for the Holy Spirit's voice this week? What can you do? What things can you implement? How do you hear the Holy Spirit's voice this week? I want you to talk about it, and then I'll make one more point, and then we'll dismiss. Okay, ready, set, discuss. All right. So, uh, so this week, as we go into our week as college and 20-somethings, heading into the month, heading into, you know, continuing into the new year, uh, let us be the people that God intends us to be, of, of listening for the Holy Spirit. And some of these ways that we've talked about at our table is, is just allowing, giving time, making space for the Holy Spirit to speak. Because we can so often, and I do this all the time, super guilty of this, is, oh God, would you leave me? Would you guide me? Okay, thanks. And then like, okay, you're going you're gonna to talk to me over here. 
But God's like, no, no, no. Like, I can talk to you right here. Like, I can immediately speak to you. But we're so like, go, 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 busy, busy, busy. We're a little Pastor Brady special, addicted to busy. Um, but we're just, you know, if, if we just calm down, if we slow down, if we make space and ask the Holy Spirit authentically, Lord, would you guide me this week? Then he will. So let's pray together and let's, uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit's work in our lives this week. Let's thank him for teaching us this morning. God, we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. God, we th- we're thankful that we have truth in your word. God, we thank you that we have um, a compass, morally, but also just your voice, Lord, to know what you ask of us and what you would have for our lives through the word and through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I thank you for this truth that you've spoken to us, and I pray that this week and this month and this year we would be the people who just sit and listen and ask and hear your voice and and cause you and and allow you to direct us and guide our lives, Lord. Not just looking for opportunities and laying down fleeces, but, Lord, primarily leaning into your Holy Spirit, asking what you would have for our lives, and being led according to what you want. We love you, God. We thank you for this truth. We pray that you would bless us this week. Would you allow us to enjoy today, enjoy fellowship as we watch the Super Bowl and go to parties? Pray that you would keep us safe, protect us, give us a great week, and help us to come back hungry for your word and hungry to know more about you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.